0: And he was asked the question, what is your theology of suffering? His answer was, I have no theology of suffering. That troubles me a little bit. And there's greater context to that statement, and and I I respect this pastor very much. But I I do think that summarizes a bit of our, our understanding maybe of suffering, even through a biblical lens of, I'm not sure that we, in our setting, in our culture, in our Western church, have a good theology of suffering. And I would say this, I I think that hurts us. I I think without a good understanding of suffering through scripture and through a biblical lens, I I think we're set up for some tough times and and misunderstandings. And and honestly, I think we we miss sometimes what God is doing. And and I don't want that for us. I've been reading a book the last couple of weeks and there was a statement that the author made that's really challenged me. It's caused me to think deeply about a couple of different things. And the statement was as you look through the Gospels, the New Testament books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you won't ever hear Jesus say, worship me. What you continually hear the invitation of is follow me. And there's implications. The invitation of Jesus is one of following in his footsteps. And if we follow in the footsteps of Jesus, that also includes suffering in this world. And and there's some reasons for that. So my heart this morning is, is, I'll tell you, the message today is going to be a little bit longer because it's part of what we're doing in this series, which is a little bit different than just preaching through a book of the Bible, is I'm kind of covering big, big topics. And, and so part of that is I want to do that both as comprehensively and as concise as possible. But um, for some of these subjects, it's, it's hard to do. But I really want you to stay engaged with what we share today. I think it's vital for us today. I think it's really important for us as we continue this series on Better Together that the way you get through a crisis is together. And the way that we reach the world is together. I don't know if you guys remember the names Dana Curry and Heather Mercer. On August 3rd, 2001, they were aid workers, arrested by the Taliban while serving with Shelter Now International in Kabul, Afghanistan. They spent over 100 days in captivity along with several other foreign volunteers. They were threatened with execution. They got sick, wound up with head lice, one suffered from asthma, and they both had intestinal worms. And the question is, why would God allow these good Christian women to face such difficult circumstances? Why did he allow them to even go to Afghanistan in the first place if if he knew that they were going to face such hardship? And maybe you've asked yourself similar questions, even this, this past year or some other time in your life. Why does God allow people, or maybe even more pointedly, why does God allow his children to face hardship? As we continue our Better Together message series today, we want to cover a message on Jesus in suffering. And here's what we hope to answer. I want to answer the question, why is it important that we walk through suffering as part of following Jesus? I want us to land on a good answer to that question today. So if you have your Bibles, hey, I hope you do. We're going to be in Luke chapter 23 today, uh, taking a look at our Savior and his moment of greatest suffering. So Luke chapter 23... I need to get there myself. I'm going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. And we're going to take a look at verses 26 through 49 this morning. No, I don't think that's right. 26 through, where am I going? Nope, that ain't right. Shelly's going to try to help me. 44, (laughs) that's awesome, through 49. (laughs) Oh, that's good. All right, Luke chapter 23, starting in verse 44. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. While the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two, then Jesus calling out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, and when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance, watching these things. These are the very words of God. You may be seated this morning. We've continued to try to summarize. It's been a longer series that we're in, but I want us to comprehensively cover the better together understanding, but we need to understand who we are in order for us to operate together, to be united that way, that we have a king. We live in a kingdom. God's word is our guide and we have a mission to fulfill. In this mission, the life in which we live, it requires endurance. And so we've been talking about those things, those characteristics which lead to endurance, things such as living well in Christian community. And and part of that is, is sharing from last week or Going back to that topic of knowing how it is that we resolve differences and disagreements and even divisive things. How do we do that? We've got to do that well to live in community. We've talked about things like serving and giving and rest and praying and fasting and singing. All of these things are wonderful things. Good kingdom practices that help us to endure. To be able to better handle anything that comes our way. But now what I want to do is I want to take a pivot. I want to shift Moving away from those kingdom practices, that that pretty well comprehensively covers those. But now I want to take a look at those kingdom mindsets that are required for endurance. Mindsets matter. We find in scripture that the Lord, uh, we are admonished for the renewing of our mind, taking thoughts captive. And so the mindsets we have matter. And and I want to look at four really important mindsets connected to suffering, God's will, death, and, and time. How does God handle time? Your thoughts regarding these kind of weighty topics, they can determine your ability to stay engaged in the mission, to to be able to effectively live this life and do it well. So we're going to cover suffering today, and and then we'll tackle the rest of those topics in the coming weeks. And, And so I want to start by answering the question, why does suffering exist? We've got to start there. Why does suffering exist? And this why question, it goes back thousands of years It was asked in the Old Testament by Job and and the writers of the Psalms. It's an incredibly relevant question when you consider our not-so-distant past. Two world wars, the Holocaust, genocides in the Soviet Union and China, famines in Africa, the killing fields of Cambodia, AIDS, the genocide in Rwanda, ethnic cleansing of Kosovo, 9-11, Syrian slaughters, mass shootings, the effects of racism, a pandemic that's claimed over two million lives. Why would a good God allow such suffering in the world he created? I think it's a good question. Elizabeth Elliot, wife of, of missionary Jim Elliot, who died in the jungles of Ecuador, serving Jesus. she writes in her book "A Pathway, or a Path through Suffering," a missionary who had been a guest in our home, so she's relating some personal experiences. When I was uh, about four, she had her head chopped off by Chinese communists when I was eight. I've never forgotten the newspaper picture of her orphan baby peeping out of a rice basket carried by the Chinese Christian who had found her. Jesus lets missionaries be killed. Jesus lets babies lose their parents. Essie McCutcheon was my very lively childhood friend. She had me panting to keep up with her as she raced through other people's backyards and alleyways. She stood my hair on end with her imaginative story as a giant with a match the size of a telephone pole who burned down the house next door, a corpse she found under the back porch. We were the same age, but she was way ahead of me. She would get her baby brother up in the morning, change him, lug him to the kitchen, fix his breakfast and everybody else's. All that energy and imagination and know-how. When we were both nine years old, Essie was very sick in the hospital. Her sisters and parents, my brothers and my parents, and I, we all prayed that the Lord would heal her. He could do that, we knew. But Essie died. Jesus lets children lose their best friends. Repeatedly throughout our lives, we encounter suffering. There's illness, abuse, broken relationships, betrayal, sorrow, injuries, disappointment, heartache, crime, and death. So what do we do with it? Our answer in terms of what we can say to another when they need comfort. What is our answer? Do we just give people a couple of scripture verses and leave it at that? Or is there something else going on that needs to be considered and possibly communicated? Unlike some religious leaders who wrote off pain and suffering as as just being illusions, Jesus was honest. He told the truth when he declared, Here on earth we will have trials and sorrows. In other words, Jesus was saying, life is hard. But why? Let me first say: for every instance mentioned above, I can't stand in God's shoes and give a complete answer for that question. I, I don't have God's mind, I don't see with God's eyes, not clearly anyway. 1 Corinthians 13:12, it shares: now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. And All I know now is impartial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God knows everything completely. So it's difficult, let me say, it's difficult to find adequate answers regarding why things happen related to specific events from our finite perspective. Someday, I know we'll see with clarity, but in the meantime, it's worthwhile to have some general understanding of why God allows suffering to take place in our lives. So let me share a couple of points with you. The first is this. God is not the creator of evil and suffering. I've had people ask, why didn't God merely create a world where tragedy and suffering didn't exist? And the answer is, he did. Genesis 131, it records, and God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. But if God is not the author of tragedy or evil or death, where did it come from? God's existed from eternity past as Father, Son, and Spirit, together in a relationship of perfect love and trinity. So love is the highest value in the universe. And when God decided to create human beings, he wanted to experience love. But to give us the ability to love, God had to give us free will to decide to love or not to love. Why? Because love always involves a choice. If we were programmed to say, Lucas was sitting next to me as I was working on the message, and so I said in robotic voice, I love you. He thought that was really funny this this week. But that's what it would be. We'd be programmed to say like robots. That wouldn't be love. So in order for us to experience love, God gave us free will. But unfortunately, we humans, we've abused our free will by rejecting God and walking away from him. And it's resulted in the introduction of two kinds of evil in the world, moral evil and natural evil. So moral evil is the immorality and pain and suffering and tragedy that comes because we choose to be selfish, arrogant, uncaring, hateful, and abusive. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All includes us. So much of the world's suffering results from this sinful action or inaction of ourselves and others. Now, for example, people look at a famine and they wonder where God is. But the world produces enough food for every person in the world to have 3,000 calories a day. It's our own irresponsibility and self-centeredness that prevents people from getting fed. It does no good to blame God. In other words, you, you could look at your hand. You could choose with that hand to hold a gun and shoot someone, or you could choose it to feed someone. It's our choice. Moral evil is a result of our choices. And the second kind of evil, it's called natural evil. These are things like disease and wildfires and earthquakes and tornadoes and and hurricanes, which causes suffering. But these too are the indirect result of sin and being allowed into the world. As one biblical commentator explained, when we humans told God to shove off, he partially honored our request. Nature began to revolt. The earth was cursed. Genetic breakdown and disease began. Pain and death became part of the human experience. Scripture tells us it's because of sin and evil that our nature was corrupted. Thorns and thistles entered into the world. You go look at Genesis chapter three, it's exactly what it quotes. But couldn't God have foreseen all this? Maybe you would ask, of course. Then why would he create humankind? I've heard people ask that question. But let me ask our parents this morning. Even before you had children, couldn't you foresee there was the very real possibility you would suffer disappointment or pain or heartache in life or that your kids might even hurt you or walk away from you? I would imagine you did, but you still had kids. Why? Because you knew there was also the potential for tremendous joy and deep love and great meaning in those kids. God knew we had the potential to rebel against him, but he also knew many people would choose to follow him, have a relationship with him, and spend all of eternity with him. And apparently for God, it was all worth it. Even though it would cost his own son great pain, and suffering to achieve our redemption. But as we consider suffering, it's important to know God did not create pain and evil. Suffering exists because of our desire to become like God and determine for ourselves what is good and evil. But now that doesn't mean God can't work through it. So let's take a look at how God uses suffering because that's really the second question. How does God use it? Although suffering isn't good, God can use it to accomplish good. Here's what we find in Romans chapter 8. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So God promises good can emerge from every circumstance for those who love God. A great example from Scripture can be found in in the first book of the Bible, in the book of Genesis. In it, we find the story of Joseph, who went through terrible suffering, sold into slavery by his brothers. Like, who wants those siblings Right? Those are pretty bad guys. Sold into slavery by his brothers, unfairly accused of a crime, falsely imprisoned. But eventually, after about 12 years of sitting in prison, he winds up second in command in Egypt, second only to Pharaoh himself, so that he could save the lives of his family and many lives in that part of the world at the time. At the end of the book of Genesis, here's the summary verse that we get for the whole book. Joseph declares to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And this is the point of the entire first book, that what the enemy means for evil, God can use for his good. He can flip it. If you're committed to God, his promise is that he can and will take whatever pain you're experiencing and draw something good from it. So as we sing about a promise keeper, that's God's promise. But you might say, well, not in my circumstance. Harm is too great, betrayal is too bad, damage too extreme, the depth of my suffering has been too much. There is no way God can cause any good to emerge. If you're doubting God's promise today, consider this. God took the very worst thing that's ever happened in the history of the universe, the death of God on a cross. And he turned it into the very best thing that has happened in the history of the universe. The opportunity for all of us to live forever with him. If God can take the very worst circumstance imaginable and turn it into the very best situation possible, is he not able to take the negative circumstances of your life and create something good from them? Of course he can. He can take anything that you're going through and flip it for good. And you need to have that confidence today. No matter what you're facing, God is greater, and he can change it. But How does he do that? That's the question, how can he flip it? And what I find is he does that in four primary ways. The first is this, God can use our suffering to draw us to himself. In the New Testament book of John, we've recorded the story of Jesus and Lazarus. Lazarus dies, and some days later, Jesus comes to Lazarus' tomb is deeply moved, and he commands the stone to be rolled away. Martha, the sister of Lazarus, she cautions him, Lord, by this time, there's going to be an odor, for he's been dead for four days. But Jesus insists. He prays, and then he shouts, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had been dead for four days, he comes out. Jesus' power over death is absolute. And this is what I wonder about in this story. If Jesus planned to heal Lazarus, why didn't he just go and heal him before he ever died, right? That's kind of a question we could consider in this passage. Why did Jesus let him die and leave Mary and Martha mourning for days? And and why not when he shows up, just tell Martha, hey, don't worry about it, I'm going to raise him from the dead. In this story, I think we get a glimpse of why God sometimes allows suffering. And one reason is because sometimes there's no greater way to deeply understand who God is than when we find him in our hardships. The space between Lazarus's death and Jesus calling him out of the tomb is the space in which Martha sees Jesus for who he really is, her very life. What Martha learns is Jesus is not just a means to an end. He isn't someone to call on just when an emergency strikes. He is the end and her circumstances drove her to him. It's not that her suffering and our suffering doesn't matter. Quite the contrary. In Martha's case, it brought tears to Jesus' eyes. His, Our suffering is his suffering. But she encounters not Jesus as the genie who would grant her wish, but Jesus, the Son of God, the resurrection and the life. She met Jesus, the real Jesus, not the one that we fabricate for our own personal use. So let me say, suffering is a place, and I would say this, one of the greatest places of guaranteed encounter with Jesus, the Son of God. C.S. Lewis, he wrote in The Problem of Pain, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. God can use our suffering to speak to us and draw us to himself. That's the first thing. Second thing we find is God can use our suffering to free us from this world. The critical issue, I want you to consider this this morning, the critical issue on our journey with Jesus is not, am I happy? That's not the issue. The issue is, am I free? That's the issue in following Jesus. Am I growing in the freedom God gave me? We are to live our lives as the rest of the world. We, we marry and experience sorrow and joy. We buy things and we use them. But always with the awareness that these things, they're not our life. We are marked by eternity. You are marked by eternity. And suffering actually helps to wean us from this world. Great spirituality is about letting go. It can be easy to get attached to things, to to behaviors and and material things and people in unhealthy ways. And and so it can actually become difficult to realize how attached we are to things until God removes them. And that's about the time we cry out, God, I have to have this house, this car, this job, this, this whatever, this relationship. And God responds, no, you don't. You just need me. I was talking with uh, Mark, one of my, my mentors in ministry this week. We were talking about this content, and he's walked through a lot of hardship in his life. And, and he related to me a phone call that he'd recently made to, to a former colleague named Ron. And, and uh, he had been diagnosed with a terminal illness, and so Mark called Ron to encourage him. And, and Ron stopped him and said, you know, Mark, I really appreciate what you're trying to do here, but, but I want to let you know, at 85, I think a lot differently about this than, than what I did when I was 50. This world is not my home. As you practice daily deaths on your journey with Jesus, when the time comes for your final one, you really don't mind, because Jesus has been preparing you for that day all along. God can use our suffering to free us from this world. And the third thing we find is God can use our suffering to mold and shape our character. Suffering, it educates the emotional life, the, the inner world, the soul which for whatever reason we don't think needs education as the mind does. But God knows our soul needs education as much as, if not more than, our mind does. We must learn to transform our pain and embrace suffering as part of our Christian experience. Because if we don't learn to transform our pain, we transmit it in some other form. This is a really important principle that you need to hear today. If we don't transform our pain, and you can see this in the world that we live in right now, untransformed pain becomes transferred to something else. We become inflexible, blaming, and and petty as we grow older. We need other people to hate in order to expel our inner negativity because our negativity and fear must have a place to rest. We play the victim in some form as a means of false power. We spend much of our life seeking security and status as a cover-up For the lack of substantial self that we have or we pass on our deadness to our family children and friends our typical cultural solutions for dealing with hardship include distractions like tv or a busy schedule willpower denial overeating medication drinking therapy we've got all kinds of solutions in our culture but these solutions fall short of what god intends to do through our hardships why so here's an important thing to understand we don't handle suffering Suffering handles us. It's interesting to me that the cross is our central Christian logo, even though we work incredibly hard to avoid all pain in life. We much prefer ascent, achievement, accumulation, but this is not the way of Jesus. The one who said in various ways and on multiple occasions, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whatever reason, it seems nothing less then some kind of pain will force us to release our grip on our small explanations and our self-serving illusions. And as we do that, so let me say this, as we release our grip on these things in times of pain, we successfully journey with Jesus through our pain. If we do that, he grows us. He dismantles or deconstructs our false self so that our true selves can emerge. This is the most important principle. He develops our inner life and helps us become more like him. The fruit of the Spirit's developed love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and faithfulness and self-control. And the good news is our true self. So once that true self emerges, it's indestructible. It's characterized by inner abundance. It's not needy or easily offended or hurt. Our true self is characterized by contentment and an abiding measure of peace and joy. Our true selves know everything is okay despite everything else going around us. Your true self, let me say this, it's your glorious you and it emerges after deconstruction. You can have both. Here's an important principle in the kingdom of God. You can have both an abundant life and suffering at the same time. They're not exclusive. Individuals who have gone through this process successfully, this deconstruction process, not avoiding personal death or raging at it, they go through a death of their old self, their small life, and they come out on the other side knowing death can no longer hurt them. In other words, let me say this. There's a necessary link between suffering and glory. There's a link between those things. God can use our suffering to mold and shape us. And God can use our suffering to influence others for him. You know, some people think the reality of suffering, it's actually an embarrassment to the Christian faith. You know, that question of how could a loving God allow suffering, we've already handled that question. But some people have that philosophy. But really, I would say suffering is actually an apologetic for the Christian faith. Because from an atheist perspective, not only is there no hope or a better end to the story, there is no big story. Richard Dawkins, he would say that there's nothing but blind, pitiless indifference in suffering. From a Christian perspective, there's not only hope for a better end, there's intimacy now with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Suffering's okay when you're a Christian. Suffering's not an embarrassment to the Christian faith it's an opportunity to display Jesus to a watching world. A couple of years ago, we took some young adults to Amman, Jordan to go visit with a church planning training center there. And and in our time there, we went to a Sunday evening service at a local church. And and, uh, to my delight, one of our Assemblies of God pastors from Iraq, Pastor Khoury, was there to speak that night. And I knew his story, so I was thrilled that our team would be able to meet him. Pastor Khoury was from Iraq and and arrested during the time of Saddam Hussein and, and in prison because of his followership of Jesus. And he was in this dark six by nine cell with six other guys. And in his time of being in this dark cell, not treated well, he was an incredible witness of Jesus, not because he just declared and witnessed about who Jesus was, but simply because he displayed the love of Christ to to fellow prisoners. One of those prisoners had been uh, interrogated, treated poorly, and when he came back in, Pastor Khoury put his hand on his back and it, it stuck because of how badly beaten his back was. And so he just prayed with him and ministered to him. And thankfully, within a couple of months, American forces came in and they actually liberated the prisoners in that jail. And and so Pastor Kuru went back to leading his Assemblies of God church in Baghdad. And a couple of years later, he went to the Bible Society to pick up some Bibles, and he found that man who had been badly beaten in that prison cell who he had ministered to. And what he didn't know of that man is he was actually a Shiite Muslim from a part of Iraq where there were no churches and no witnesses of Jesus because you couldn't go to that part of Iraq unless you were a Shiite Muslim. So he went back to his home, but because of the witness of Pastor Kuri, unbeknownst to him, he became a follower of Jesus. So he meets him in that Bible society. And part of what the Lord spoke to Pastor Khoury's heart when he was in there, it came from Isaiah 45.3. And he was meditating on this verse. It says, I will give you the treasures of darkness. And God spoke to Pastor Currie when he was in that prison, and God said, these men are my treasures of darkness, and I want you to love them. And so he responded and did that. So he meets this man in the Bible Society who's picking up Bibles to go and take back to this part of the country where there is no witness of who Jesus is. And he wasn't there just to pick up like eight Bibles or even 80 Bibles or even 800. He was there to pick up 8,000 Bibles to take back home with him. Isn't that incredible? Because of the, the willingness of Pastor Curry to walk through hardship, another was influenced for the kingdom of God. 8,000 people got to know and get access to God's word because of the faithfulness of one. God can absolutely use our suffering to influence others for him. So if you're going through difficult time, it's important to remember that God promises that good can emerge from any situation that we face as we stay focused on him. That's the important part, staying focused on him. The reason suffering is important as we follow Jesus, and I would say this is the point of the whole message, the reason it's important as we follow Jesus is because suffering removes our false self, enabling our true self to emerge. That's what happens. God uses suffering to speak to us and draw us to himself, to, to release the hold that this world has on your life, to grow and sharpen our character and influence others for him and i summarize all these effects with the understanding our false self dies in suffering so our true self our new creation emerges according to scripture this is why jesus says we must take up our cross daily this is why paul writes the old has passed and the new has come suffering is central to the good news of how jesus sets us free we need to understand that today because of the fallen world in which we exist Suffering is part of following Jesus, and He uses it for salvation experiences. Knowing this, this is why it's so important. if we know this, how do we suffer well? Considering suffering is necessary for our new selves to materialize. I would say this. this is the, the question: What would be a good pathway through suffering? Because we need to know that. Suffering is part of the good news of Jesus, but how do we do it well then? And pulling from sources and mostly from scripture, our own experiences, this is what we have found. Four steps. The first is this. Pay attention. Pay attention. Don't ignore the pain. Actually press into it. Don't hold back. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal the source of your suffering. And then what do you do with the pain? So this is important. Once you identify it, now you need to do the second step, which is lament. Lament. Two-thirds of the Psalms are laments, complaints to God. Jeremiah wrote an entire Old Testament book entitled Lamentations. Ezekiel lamented. Daniel grieved. As shared earlier, Jesus wept over Lazarus. And if you continue to read, you find he later cries out in grief for Jerusalem. In his book, Dark Clouds and Deep Mercy, Pastor Mark Vrogop, who's actually in Indianapolis, he, he points out a pattern for lament, and this is what it is. You turn to God. You address God as you come to him in prayer. Second thing is bring your complaint. Identify in blunt language the specific pain or injustice. Don't hold back from God. Hey, in case you didn't know, he already knows it. So release it to him and let him deal with it. Cry out to God. Pray wild prayers. Tell God exactly how you're feeling. Weep. Then ask God boldly. So the third thing is ask God boldly. Specifically, call upon God to act on your behalf. And then last thing is choose to trust. That's how you lament. So I would say this, if you're currently in the middle of a hardship, it might be a good idea to pick up that book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. It helps you work through those hardships. So the first two steps, pay attention and then lament. And then the third step is wait in the confusing in between. It can be incredibly difficult to wait on God when things are confusing, but this is exactly what needs to happen. But I would encourage you in your waiting, actively Wait. Actively wait. Either start or continue to engage in all those kingdom practices that we've been talking about. Those kingdom practices of staying connected in community, spending time in God's word, serving, giving, resting, praying, singing, fasting. So actively wait in the confusing in-between time. Engage in those practices. These practices are vital in that in-between time. The time between your suffering and God's deliverance. You must have the mindset, I will choose to accept this path because I believe God is going to do something through it. Even if it's just my refinement, that's okay. And then what happens? See, the first three steps you do, the last step, God does. Resurrection happens. Turning toward our pain in our culture, it's counterintuitive. But at the heart of Christianity is that the way to life is through death. The pathway to resurrection is through crucifixion. Elizabeth Elliot When she talks about suffering, she relates, I know of no answer to give to anyone about suffering, except that the answer given to all the world in the cross, it was there that the great grain of wheat died. Not that death should be the end of the story, but that it should be the beginning of the story, as it is in all cycles of nature. The grain dies, the harvest results. The sun must die in the west if it's going to rise in the east. So let me say this, this is so important. Resurrection will always take care of itself whenever death is trusted. Resurrection will always take care of itself when, resurrection, or when, when death is trusted. But, but what we wanna make sure we avoid, so let me say this this morning, is we don't wanna manufacture our own resurrections. Don't do that. First three you do, the last one God does. We don't change jobs just because our job is hard or our working environment's difficult. We don't move to another city just because the people around us are troublesome. We trust, we engage in kingdom practices, And we wait. And so then the question becomes in all of this, the question in suffering is, what are we going to do with our wounds? What are we going to do with our pain? Are we going to simply become wounded and bitter? Or will we trust God to bring about the resurrection he desires? It's likely you've seen examples of how the same suffering that causes one person to turn bitter, to reject God and the local church, and to become hard and angry, it can cause another to turn to God become more gentle, more loving, willing to reach out compassionately to those in pain. So we make the choice to either follow God's pan for suffering or to run from him. And I would say this, our world needs men and women who have successfully navigated difficulties and come out of the other side better because of it. We need those examples. A poem, The Well of Grief by David White, he speaks of this well in this process. Here's what he writes. Those who will not slip beneath the still surface on the well of grief, turning down through its black water to the place we cannot breathe. We'll never know the source from which we drink, the secret water, cold and clear, nor find in the darkness glimmering the small round coins thrown by those who wished for something else. It's not that we pursue hardship and suffering. I want to be clear on that today. We don't pursue it. Simply, we don't run from it. Instead, we face it head on. We, we trust God for the work only he can do through it to remove our false self, allowing our true self to emerge. Pastor Khoury, after his time in prison, and then eventually seeing God's intended results, he shared that someone could not pay him a million dollars to take back that time that he had in prison. But I like what he added. But he also said someone couldn't pay him a million dollars to do it again. <laughs> we don't go looking for suffering. It just happens to us. It's our job then to simply trust God to carry us through it. So if you're in the middle of a trial, pay attention, lament, and actively wait. God will bring about a resurrection experience in due time. Trust God in the middle of it for greater encounters with him, to release the hold that this world has on your life, for character to be molded and shaped, or for greater kingdom influence to come out of your experience. You can trust your false self to die and your true self to come to life. So be faithful to God. He will be faithful to you. He promises it. And I would like to, the last point I want to share is there actually is some good news about suffering. And here's the good news. The day is coming when suffering will cease and God will judge evil. Just because God hasn't eradicated evil and suffering yet, it doesn't mean he won't do it. The kingdom of God has come in Jesus. The kingdom of God is coming as we continue his mission. And the kingdom of God will come in all of its fullness when Jesus comes again. The story of our world, it's not over yet. Scripture tells us the day will come when sickness and pain will be no more. And people will be held accountable for the works that they've done. Justice will be served in a perfect way. So now what's the holdup? It's us not yet fulfilling the mission and others not yet hearing. So I would say let's endure in the mission before us. Tell others about the good news of Jesus and then we can see all suffering finally end. But in the meantime, while we endure hardship, let's keep in mind that our suffering pales in comparison to what God has in store for us. It, it pales in comparison. Let's keep a long-term eternal perspective regarding suffering. Paul, a New Testament follower of Jesus who suffered through beatings and stoning and shipwrecks and imprisonments and betrayal and rejection and hunger and thirst and homelessness. All of these things. Here's what he writes to believers in Corinth, encouraging them. We have this treasure and jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. Our false self is dying. Our true self is emerging. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal, in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. We're dying, and then we're living. That's the joy between the two. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed, and so I spoke, and we also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory. Our suffering influences others. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that we have seen, but to the things unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, the things unseen are eternal. You have eternity written on your hearts. He writes to believers in Rome similarly. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. So let's always keep in mind, God promises a time when there will be no more crying, no more tears, no more pain and suffering, when we will be reunited with God in perfect harmony forever. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Let's keep that in mind. So let's keep our eyes on Jesus in this life. He's with us in our suffering. Our sufferings are his suffering. Our sorrows are his sorrows. So why is suffering important as a follower of Jesus? Because God can use our suffering to draw us to himself, to remove the hold this world has on our lives, to mold and shape in our character and influence others for him. Our job is to endure, to pay attention, lament, and to actively wait. Trusting, trusting God to bring about the resurrection in his time. Some of my favorite books to read to our kids, we've been reading through the Narnia series at night. I also love Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. And at a low point in the narrative of the Lord of the Rings, two central characters, Frodo and Sam, they discuss where they're at in the story, and and Sam recalls how he used to think that people in tales, they went looking for adventures because their lives were dull. But then he reflects, that's not the way of it with the tales that really mattered. Frodo enjoys the story, and Sam starts to tell about their own adventure, but then Frodo stops Sam and he says, we're going a bit too fast. You and I, Sam, are are still stuck in the worst places of the story and, and it's all too likely that some will say at this point, shut the book now, dad. We don't want to read anymore. The hobbits, they don't know how their story will end. If it ended in this moment, it would be bleak and hopeless. But the story goes on. Tolkien takes him through darkness and suffering and loss to a painful victory as Gollum bites the ring off Frodo's hand. The story leaves Frodo scarred in body and mind, but his victory is nonetheless, In one of which Sam and he hear songs sung about and stories told. Tolkien, if you don't know, his work was sculpted by his Christian faith, and it was a faith not just in Jesus' death, but also his resurrected life. The journey of all central characters, and I've shared this with you before, the good news of the kingdom, you're in God's story. You're in it. And the story of all central characters is one through darkness, even death, to new life. And if you tap any central character on their shoulder in the darkest moment, none would know where they're at in that story. So maybe you find yourself in the midst of suffering right now, and the hope of a happy ending seems naive. And I had shared that Jesus was honest with his followers when he said in this life, you will face trouble. But I wanna look at that entire verse right now. That I have said, here's what Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. There it is. But take heart. I've overcome the world. We sang about it this morning. So Jesus offers us two things when we're hurting. So if you're in the midst of that darkness right now and you don't know how that story's going to end, he offers us two things. He offers us peace in the present and courage for the future. How? Because he's conquered the world. Through his own suffering and death, he's deprived the world of its ultimate power over you. Suffering and death no longer have the last word. God does. Our resurrected Savior does. The story of Dana Curry and, and Heather Mercer. They were being held by the Taliban. As they were, they regularly took time to pray, to sing, to read scripture in their prison cell. And it made such an incredible impression upon their guards, their guards actually began to refer to them as sisters. One of them had said that, they, that he loved them. Because of the way that they modeled their faith. And understanding the impression their time in prison had on others, here's what Heather Mercer shared a year after their rescue. I would do it all over again because I know the tremendous good that's come out of the situation. Think about the good. It grew them, their character. They had intimate encounters with Jesus in that prison cell. And it was an influence for others as well. It released the grip that this world had on their lives. All of those things. She said, i do it all over again because I know the tremendous good that's come out of the situation, not just for us, But for many of the Afghan people, God can bring a resurrection experience out of any hardship, out of any tragedy. The question is, will we trust Him for it? My hope and prayer is that we do. So we open this message reading about the crucifixion, and now I want to close reading how it ends. Luke 24. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. That's the end of our story. We face suffering and hardship with eternal perspective and understanding there's good news, both in it and on the other side of it. So I want us, as we close today, sing about our resurrected Savior who has the ability to resurrect your life. So I want to invite you to stand as we close in song today. Shelly, as we were singing earlier today, she she said, and I want to say this too, as we were singing, I really believe God wants to do some breakthrough in some people's lives today. Whether that be you here in the sanctuary or or in our overflow rooms, or if you're at your, your home right now, wherever you find yourselves, I believe God wants to do some breakthrough in some lives. So as we sing, If you're facing darkness and trouble right now, maybe something you could do is, is we don't have prayer teams right now and that's okay, but you could just raise your hand to say, you know what, I'm in the middle of darkness. And we're not going to close our eyes right now because we're going to sing it. But here's why I want you to raise your hand because the people around you, they can just extend their hands and agree with you in prayer that you first have to confess it. Others agree with you, trusting that God's going to bring the resurrection you need. So as we get into song, let me just give you that invitation. If right now you find yourself in a place of walking through hardship and darkness and suffering. And honestly, you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. But I want to tell you it's there. I want not you just raise your hand and I want to pray with you and I want to have others around you agree with you in prayer. Who here today would say, that's me. Man, I'm I'm walking through it right now and I really need God's help. I need his perspective. We've got hands over here. Anybody else to say that's me right now? In order for you to be set free from it, you got to admit it. Again, that, that lament. Confess it to God. He already knows it. And guess what, you're in a room full of people that are for you, want to agree with you in prayer. So as you're raising your hand, if you've got somebody around you, just extend your hand for them as I pray. King Jesus, we just pray right now that you would give confidence to those that are walking through darkness and hardship. They as a central character in your story might not understand where they're at in that story, but Jesus, I pray that you would help them to see to the other side. Give them hope today for a better tomorrow. Whenever that tomorrow comes, whenever you bring resurrection, I don't want us to falsify those resurrections. I don't want us to have an imitation. I want the real thing for people here. Lord, people at home, I just pray, Jesus, that you bring breakthrough right now in prayer and as we sing. We trust you for that word, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.